1: reading this morning is from Luke the 10th chapter. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out. Like lambs among wolves, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the way. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. But whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, if do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks. Thanks be to God. You know, in our lives, we spend a lot of time trying to decide things. Should we work in this job or in that job? How shall we handle the children? What shall we say to our good-for-nothing relative the next time he asks us for money? How shall we arrange the furniture? What are we going to do about this health problem and about that money problem? And the decisions continue. Day after day we have decisions to make and we worry about the decisions that we make and that those others make. Those other decisions that other people make. Living in America means living in a land where people must make decisions. Unlike some other countries where decisions are made for a captive people, this freedom to make decisions is the heart of our country. And we must live or die with the decisions we make. Some decisions are difficult and others are simple. It is rare that difficult decisions are between good and evil. Instead, the difficult decisions are usually between two good things or two bad things. Some decisions are legal, others are illegal. You know, you could decide to steal my car. I prefer you didn't. You can still steal the car, but there are consequences to that decision to consider. Perhaps the most important decisions, though, are the simplest decisions. This week, a group of 67 people made individual decisions to get in the back of a tractor-trailer rig so they could leave Mexico for the United States. No air conditioning was provided. No water was provided. It was Texas in the heart of the summer. The tractor-trailer was found near San Antonio with 51 dead migrants and 16 who were barely alive who were taken to the hospital. Some were children. I ask you, how bad does your life have to be to pay to get into a packed trailer in Texas summer heat without water or air conditioning? How much better must you think life in America is for people to make this risky decision to leave their homes? Was there a lack of food? Were there gangs that were chasing them out of their hometowns? Were they starving? Did they need to find homes, or jobs, or doctors? Was this risky decision? Why, why was this risky decision made? Why would they make this for themselves and their children? Here in America, you know, we have to make difficult decisions too. Do we go to Camden-Clark, or do we go to Marietta Memorial? The people I know in Parkersburg often tell me, don't go to Camden-Clark. There's people I know in Marietta who say, on the other hand, don't go to Marietta Memorial. Of course, the people I knew when I was preaching in Clarksburg told me, don't go to UHC. That was the local hospital over there. It seems like everywhere I've lived has the worst hospital in the area. Have you ever thought why? Could it be because we only listen to those horror stories that get passed around through the gossip chain And we rarely hear the good news stories because, you know, those aren't as much fun to tell, are they? I've also lived in the most polluted places in the United States. It seems like everywhere I've ever lived was the most polluted place in America. Pollution must have followed me around, but I did take showers. People in every town reveled in telling me that the town I'd just moved to was the most polluted place in the United States. This included Buffalo, New York, we were near the Love Canal, New Jersey, Atlanta, Marietta, Clarksburg, and of course, Parkersburg. I've seen places though in other countries where the sewer is simply a gutter in the middle of the street. And I haven't seen that in any of these places in America. People love telling of how bad things are Each place I've lived also had a terrible school system, except for their particular school or their particular teacher. But we have friends who minister in Mexico who bought their local school up in the mountains, their first furnace, so that the temperature in the classrooms could be above freezing in the mornings. And I've said before, if we listen to the news, the time we live in is the worst of all possible times. Chicken Little, the anchor on the news, is running around telling us that the sky is falling because it means we tune back in the next day and listen or watch or read that news channel. But a look at history shows us that on almost any front, we actually aren't doing too bad. We need to know and learn real history. You know, inflation's growing, but it hit 15%, much worse, back in the early 80s, and we survived to have a decade of wonderful economic growth. Congress is dysfunctional. They're fighting all the time, but at least it's not like 1856. When Senator Charles Sumner of Massachusetts gave a fiery speech against slavery and was then attacked a couple days later at his desk in the Senate chamber by Congressman Preston Brooks of South Carolina, he took his heavy walking stick and beat the Senator Sumner and left him bleeding and unconscious on the floor. We aren't to that point yet. Russia's trying to use its military to gobble up Ukraine and we're sending arms to help, but that's because our leaders remember what happened when Hitler's Germany negotiated the loss of Czechoslovakian territory in the fall of '38 in exchange for peace and then six months later gobbled up the rest of the country. German troops marched in, took over it, which included the world's largest tank manufacturing plant, which they then used later when they went to full-scale war in Europe. This week, the head of the British military, remembering this, said made a speech that said, today is our 1937. He meant this is the time to act to prevent war by growing strong enough that the would-be conqueror will not attack. At least our leaders see the danger this time around. Our gasoline prices, you may have noticed, are... A lot higher than they used to be, but at least we don't have gas lines that stretch for blocks because most stations have run out of gas, like happened in 74. Do you remember waiting in those lines, waiting for gas? And we're out of things at the grocery store, but this time, unlike the 1930s, we're not doing things like inventing meatloaf, which was invented in the 30s to stretch meat farther. It's a matter today of whether we can afford steak or whether we need to eat ham or chicken. Whether we can have our favorite brand name or whether we need to settle for a store brand, we aren't to the point where there's no meat of any sort that we can afford. It's just difficult to find our favorite brands like Jif peanut butter, and so we have to take the store brand. Of course, the other option is that, like in other countries, we take our chances with the Jif peanut butter, which was pulled, if you you remember, because there'd been some contamination. Perhaps you'd prefer to buy food in a market where the meat and fish are sold in the open air with the flies buzzing around and there's no food inspectors anywhere near. I've walked into an open-air restaurant in Mexico City where the flies were settling on and buzzing around the beef that hung in the open and then they just cut some off and give it to you on a sandwich. Despite all the bad news we find on the various news channels, if we have a proper godly perspective. We'll look around and know that we are still blessed both because of the time in which we live and because of the place where we live and because of the God we worship. That's not to say there isn't evil in us in our world but how many of you have thought recently about paying someone to smuggle you into another country in the back of a tractor trailer because your life is so bad here? No, instead, we consider maybe moving to a better house or changing jobs. Some even want to move south to be with grandchildren. But none of us are desperate enough to resort to the tractor-trailer method, which shows you how blessed we are. But how do we get by when things we can't control are going wrong in the world? When we have crazy viruses like COVID and now monkeypox, what are we supposed to do? It's here that looking at the wisdom of the Bible can help us with our decisions. The Bible can simplify our life if we will learn the right lessons and not try to complicate it too much. After Ahab and Jezebel had been removed from leadership in Israel because God decided they were worshiping other gods and not the God, gangs of raiders were sent by the king of Aram in the city of Damascus, the country that we would call today Syria. They captured and enslaved people in Israel and the head of the army of Syria, the, the army of Aram, was Naaman. He was a great general. He was a brave soldier, a proud man who was respected by the king, but Naaman had a problem. He had contracted leprosy that, that dreaded skin disease. One of the slaves he would captured was a teenage girl from Israel whom he gave to his wife The slave girl noticed that Naaman had leprosy and said, you know, if if only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And Naaman told the king and asked permission to go find this prophet in Israel. The king thought very highly of Naaman. And so the king gave Naaman a letter to the new king of Israel, asking him to cure Naaman of his leprosy. He also sent gifts of 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 fine sets of clothing. The gold alone in today's money is worth $4.5 million. Now, of course, when Naaman shows up at the court of the king of Israel and the king reads the letter, the king tore his clothes in frustration and anger. He was suspecting the king of Damascus was setting him an impossible task just as an excuse to have a war. But Elisha... The prophet heard about the letter. He sent a message to the king of Israel which said, in essence, calm down, just send the man over to me. After all, you know, there are some things that governments and kings are good for, but there are other things where you need God and God's people, the people who know and speak for God. Knowing which is which is a mark of wisdom. And perhaps most things are best dealt with by God's people rather than by governments and kings. So Naaman, he got his horses and his chariots and he stopped over at Elijah's, Elisha's place. And Elisha sent a messenger out to say to Naaman, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed. You're simple and sweet. Just go wash seven times in the Jordan River and Naaman would be fixed. But Naaman wouldn't follow the advice. He went away angry. He said, I thought he'd surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, wave his Hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Aren't those rivers in Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleaned? And so he turned and he went off in a huff. Naaman's servants went to him, though, and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? How much more, then, when he tells you, just go wash and be cleansed? The servants recognized that Naaman had a serious problem, much more serious than his leprosy. His problem was pride. When Elisha sent out the messenger, instead of walking to Naaman himself, he hurt Naaman's pride, probably on purpose. For pride, you see, is the first thing that has to go if you're going to bow down to the living God. And the servants recognized that if Elisha had sent Naaman on a quest like, You must travel to far India and bring me water from the highest mountain, Mount Everest. Then you must travel to Persia and bring me the emerald that sits in the Persian king's crown. And finally you have to travel to Ireland and bring me back a bottle of Guinness beer and I'll mix them all together, say a few magic words and apply them to your leprosy and you'll be healed. Well, that that would have been something that Naaman would have thought was worthy of Naaman. Nothing simple was good enough for Naaman, but the servants knew Naaman. And Naaman was wise enough to recognize that he'd been a fool when his servants called, it on, called him on it. So he went down. He dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. And Na- then Naaman went back to Elisha, and he vowed never to bow to any other god but the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel. So many people in our community are like Naaman. So many people are too pride-filled to do the simple things that the people of God have said to do for centuries if you want an improved life. There's six things. Read the Bible daily. Pray to God daily. And come together in worship. Come together in Bible study. Fifth, love one another as you love yourself. And sixth, love all people. Six simple things. Years later, Jesus decided to give his disciples a simple task. He asked 72 of them to go in teams of two people out into the towns and villages ahead of him on his journey. He said that the harvest was coming and it was plentiful and it was a harvest of souls for God. They would be the workers harvesting the souls just as you will still be the workers harvesting souls. Jesus' instructions were very simple don't take any extra baggage along. Don't take any purses or bags or even sandals. Don't stop and talk to people on the road. Just go straight to your assigned village and when you enter a house, one house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them, Jesus said. If not, it's going to return to you. Stay there eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. Jesus wanted them to focus upon a single family, not to worry about the rest of the village, but each of them to focus upon speaking peaceably with a single family in their village. Let them feed you. Don't be too good for whatever that food and drink is, and don't go looking for a better deal from the neighbors said, when you enter a town and are welcome to eat what's offered to you, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. They were to listen to the family, healing that family. Perhaps it was through physical healing, but it was likely that a lot of it was spiritual healing. Then, just like today, most people have had their souls injured by the world. And a listening friend, even a new one, can give someone a lot of healing. And that works especially well today. You can heal people. Our friends, neighbors, and family, and even strangers need someone who will listen to them and give gentle advice. Are you that someone who can make a new friend, listen to them, give gentle advice, and speak to them of Jesus? I know you are, because you've done this throughout your life, On and off. Be intentional about it. But there were some people who would not welcome the disciples. There still are today. Jesus had a command for that too. He said, when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe off from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure this, the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus then assured the disciples that whoever listens to you is listening to Jesus. And whoever rejects you is rejecting Jesus. But whoever rejects Jesus rejects the God who sent him. And these people who rejected the disciples and who might reject you are ultimately rejecting Jesus and God, so you're in good company. So the 72 went out that week into the villages. It was a simple plan. Go to a village, pick a house, have lunch with someone there, listen to them sympathetically, and tell them about Jesus. If they don't welcome you, leave, but tell them that Jesus and the kingdom of God has been near. And what happened? The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They had run into demons and they were joyful. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you power. I've given you authority. But don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice instead that your names are written in heaven. The power is not important. What is important is that your names are written in heaven because you're following Jesus' commands. These commands are so simple that a child can do it. Teenagers do it well. But why don't adults follow this simple command? After all, Jesus says that nothing will harm you. Why don't we do the simple things that Jesus has asked? You know, it's easy to say things like, I'd sacrifice my life for Christianity. We're so proud of our principles. But then Christ asks us to do something like love others as we love ourselves. He asks us to speak to new people to listen to them, give general advice, to heal their spirits, and tell them about Jesus, and our pride takes over again. Why should I love those people? For us, loving others is a sacrifice of our lives. A few minutes at a time, why should I spend an hour or two talking to someone I don't know or even like? Folks, if we can't love others whom we dislike, how likely is it that we'd actually sacrifice our lives for others. It's difficult to love others, to turn the other cheek to forgive. It's not easy, but it is the simple key to changing the world and changing ourselves and growing churches. To love those who are difficult to love, to listen to the dull and the boring and the crazy statements that make us angry. It's difficult to be pleasant. There's no money in that, we say, but the decision is simple. Do or do not. Follow Christ or not. How much of Christ do you want to follow? Just this little bit or the whole thing? So aren't we glad that someone took the time to listen to us, to heal our hurts, to speak to us about Jesus and the kingdom of God? Aren't we glad that God follows the Son's commands and loves us? Then why haven't you decided to do the simple things that Jesus asked? Just four simple things. Four simple things. First of all, find the next page. There we go, okay. Four simple things. Meet someone new, listen to them, give them gentle advice, and tell them about Jesus and what he did for you. Meet someone new, listen to them, give gentle advice and tell them about Jesus and what he did for you. Now, if you happen to be one of those proud folk who can't understand why Christianity is so simple, which we've got a lot of in our neighborhood, don't we? Then understand that Christ wants to save all people, even the stubborn ones who think they're so superior and believe Christianity can't be true because it's simple enough for almost anyone to understand you need to do four simple things if you're one of those people filled with pride. Or you need to tell your friend, you've just got four simple things to do. First of all, admit you've done wrong in your life. Second, ask God in prayer to forgive you. Third, ask Jesus to send the Holy Spirit to guide you. And fourth, find a church, begin to attend and get baptized. And once you're there, six things. Six things for the Christian to do in their life. Read the Bible daily and ponder what you read. Pray to God daily and ask for insight. Come together in worship. Come together in Bible study to discuss what you've read and love one another as you love yourself. And, by the way, love all people. Six simple things. Come to the altar and apologize for not doing the simple things Christ asks or pray for another to come to Christ as we sing this song.